Lord, I thank you that you are in a good mood, and I just thank you that you are with us. I thank you that you have all authority, all power. I thank you that, Father, every one of us will pass away, but your word will never pass away. I thank you that we stake our lives not on feelings, but on your word, on truth. And we honor your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we take a seat? So, second week on fasting. I'll be very honest and real with you. I have four weeks of fasting material in front of me, and so I'm not even going to try to get through it. It's just such a topic that is, I'm so passionate about, um, it's something that I, I think is a legacy from my parents. I grew up for many years, even when I was young, and just seeing my parents fast and fast and fast and seeing breakthroughs come, seeing change come. And one of the ways I try to teach on fasting, not so much preach, but teach, is because a lot of people fast without spiritual understanding. And without spiritual understanding, it's hard to have faith. And so they just fast, and it becomes almost a thing of a way disappointment can come to a person. You know, a lot of the times we see people do very spiritual things, healing, prophetic, very supernatural type activity. And so people jump in and try to, in a sense, just do exactly what they do, which I think is great. Continue to try. But they try once or twice, and then nothing happens. And so their stepping out leads to disappointment. And what we don't realize is often that disappointment is supposed to cause a frustration in us to get us on our knees for God to change us so that we can step out again and again and again and again and again. And so I just try to bring some understanding of fasting. With all the power that fasting was shown to wield in the Old Testament, it brought, I'll just read you a list, it brought supernatural comfort in times of mourning. Daniel fasted to gain an understanding of a vision for the prophets in our midst. If you're having visions and you don't understand them, Daniel fasted very simply to, un to gain understanding. He saw something, he couldn't understand it, so he fasted for 21 days. And that's when the angel came and touched him, set him trembling upon his face. So, very important. It rescued a nation. It rescued a nation under Esther. Whole nation. That was three days, no food, no water. Actual fact, let me go over something quick. Underneath your chair, you have one of these. If you could all pick one out. Now, if you look at that list, while we fast biblically, uh, to humble ourselves, to draw near to the Lord, to intercede for others, and so forth. This is what we spoke on last week. Who remembers from last week that when the Bible says to humble yourself before the Lord or to afflict the soul, it is actually a reference to fasting. Most of the time in the Bible, when the Bible says to humble yourself, is a reference to fasting. And we don't know that because we're not Hebrew people, we're not Jewish people, but that's what it meant. Whenever the Bible says, if my people would humble themselves and pray... It's actually fast and pray. It was a humbling act. I don't want to re-preach last week, but it's very important. Those first three are what I call the essence of fasting. That's the absolute essence of fasting, to humble yourself before the Lord, to draw near and to intercede for others. The rest is just something that they did in Scripture. It talks about seeking direction for your life. There was Ezra. Esther did that as well. And then on the next page, how long should I fast? I was going to cut each one of these, but I just thought to write it out, and I just copied something from Derek Prince. How long should I fast in different types of fasting? You biblically only get three types of fasting. We've increased it to 7,000 types, but it's a total fast, which is no food, no water, which I wouldn't encourage you to do without supervision from a medical professional. And then you get a fast. Every time the Bible says fast, it just means water only. And then you get a partial fast, which you see in the book of Daniel, uh, which he did for 21 days. So those are the three types of fasts. And in the book of Daniel, it talks about no meat, sweets, or wine. Sweets there, just for the scholars, is not a reference to candy. They didn't have candy. It actually is no pleasant bread. It's confectionery, baked goods. And he goes later on into the chapter to basically say he only ate vegetables. 
And then there's a chart that I put together just for those who are interested. This is for an extended fast, particularly water. After doing some long fasts myself, I just I actually presented this chart for the first time in 2008. Who remembers when we were in the cafeteria? Yeah. I just did a 10-day water fast, and I've done a few before that, and I just, this chart is something that I just put together out of my own experience. So please take that home, read it, follow it, not because it's mine, some of it's not, but just follow it because it'll help you to start well, to start with a plan, and to start with faith, but with a plan. Amen? So we're on this list. The divinely protected Ezra, fasting in the Old Testament, divinely protected Ezra and the people on the way back to Jerusalem and gave them direction and protection. Fasting in the Old Testament was a part of atonement of sin unto righteousness. It was used in many practical daily and national circumstances and calamities. How much more, is my question, how much more will fasting be more powerful in Christ when you start at the end of the race a winner? Because they used to fast towards righteousness. We already have that. How much more? How much more than what they had in the Old Testament? Why is fasting so powerful? Why is fasting so powerful? I've got a, a bunch of reasons. I just want to give you two, very basically. Number one, we dethrone, we dethrone the enemy in the flesh. Let me explain it. If you could turn to Philippians 3.17. This, in a sense, has nothing to do with fasting the scripture, but the principle is sound. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. Imagine being able to say that. You have me as a pattern to follow. I think many leaders should be able to say that, but Paul could truly say that. And he said, For many walk, of whom I'm told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Strong words. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. In other words, the things that they do, the Bible says the day will come when the people will call evil good and good evil. How many know that day has come? Okay, so they glory in what they are should actually bring shame. They glory in it. They revel in it. And it says, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven. So they set their mind on earthly things, but he's saying, actually, there's, you're an eternal being. You will never pass away. Your spirit, you have a soul that is housed in a body, your spirit as well. But those, you will never pass away. The real you will never pass away. For our citizenship is in heaven. So... Whose God is their belly, who set their mind on earthly things. We are made up of three parts. We all know this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 24. Every person is made up of body, soul, and spirit. Yes? Okay. The devil always seeks a throne. Always. He sought it in the beginning. That's why he was banished. He wants a throne. If you are saved, he cannot sit on the throne in your spirit because that is Christ's house. But he seeks the throne in your soul and in your body. The chief, in a sense, being of your body is your stomach, whose God is their belly, their stomach. Because if he can grab a hold of that, the appetites, the actual natural appetite, he can derail your entire life. How many of you know that? So that's, the God is your belly, that's your stomach, the throne of your body is your stomach, and I, I know because I've built it up from time to time. And then it talks about, or you set your mind on earthly things. The throne of your soul is your mind. Because if he can take your mind, he, he's one, in a sense. You might go to heaven, but you will live miserably here on earth. The devil always seeks a throne. The devil constantly reaches out and seeks to sit on the thrones of our lives, which is to bring rulership to himself. Fasting is one of God's greatest tools to cast both us 
and the enemy of both thrones at the same time. It is the great assault on the flesh and the enemy. Fasting is to become intentional and take out the 50 caliber because the 22 just ain't cutting it. That's what fasting does. It deals with both at once so that the spirit can start to soar because your body, in a sense, has a part that wants to rule and your soul has a part that wants to rule, but God says the spirit must rule. Fasting forces that issue. And we fall off the throne, the devil falls off, the God begins to rule through your life. Another reason, and I'll just give you the scriptures just to run, just run through it fast. How many of you know the story, Exodus 17, when Moses was lifting up his hands, Joshua is fighting the battle in the valley with the Amalekites. You know the story? And whenever he raised his hands, they would win. Whenever his hands dropped, they would lose. Okay. I believe if we understand some of that spiritual principle, it'll change the way you live your life in many areas. Let me say it like this. Physical obedience, okay? Physical body. Physical obedience brings spiritual release. Try picture, Moses is doing this, friends. He's being obedient. It's not just to do anything physically. It's something physically that God's told you to do. Moses is just lifting his arms, his little arms, lifting his arms. When he does this, heaven is employed. Angels are in the battle. The power of the Spirit is in the battle, and they start to win. It's so it's called, think about what's happening in the heavenly realm, in the unseen realm, because he's doing this. And something of heaven is into the Amalekites. Something of heaven is in that battle because he's doing something physical. And his arms start to drop and they start to lose. So he gets Aaron and Ur. We know the story. Physical obedience brings spiritual relief. Let's say it. Physical obedience brings spiritual relief. And in the modern church, we've said, well, you know, God knows my heart. We've internalized everything to intellect and feeling. I don't have to clap my hands and worship. God knows I want to. I don't have to raise my arms. I mean, God knows I love him. I don't have to kneel. Why should I have to bow down and kneel? God knows. Physical obedience brings spiritual relief. Obedience, anything that isn't here or anything that he says to you personally. You know how many times he said to me personally when worship is not going well? And I, I can't say this because every time I kneel, then people think it's because I don't think it's going well. How many times worship is a struggle and this, this, the flesh rises up in me to try to make it better? And the Lord says, kneel. Just kneel. Do the opposite. It's just physical obedience brings supernatural spiritual release. Name in the Syrian. Go cleanse in the water. Dip yourself seven times. No. Why? And he argued, no, eventually he did it. One time, still leprosy. Two times, leprosy. Seventh time, healed. Physical obedience, supernatural release. The supernatural release of the supernatural and the natural because you did something physical with your body. (laughs) Yeah, that's basic scripture. Fasting is one of the greatest ways of physical obedience because it's in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Physical obedience, spiritual relief. Very, very, very powerful tool. Very powerful tool. 
I'll say it again because I want you to go home saying it. Physical obedience, spiritual relief. Okay, I think we get the point. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. The Pharisees come to Jesus, and they ask him why his disciples don't fast. Who of you know the story about the wine and the wineskin? When Jesus talks about you don't take a new patch, so you know that, and the wineskin. Then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he, says, and he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? I mean, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. Which days are those? Now, okay. So I've heard some people say, we don't have to fast anymore because Jesus accomplished victory for us, and he fasted for us, therefore I don't fast. Well, that's just silly. Because Paul was very clear, he was in fastings often, and he was post-cross. He said, they will fast in those days. But then he spoke a parable to them. We know the parable. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And the old piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the old wineskins and be spilt, and the wineskins will be ruined. The greatest tragedy, I believe, of that scripture is where it says the wine will be spilt. The power of the Spirit will be wasted. That scripture, friends, we've used it in the context of leadership, rightly so. We've used it in the context of new wine and the power of the Spirit, rightly so. It's something that you see in scripture. But to be correct, it was an answer about fasting. And they said, why don't you fast like that? Because what had happened is they would fast often. The Pharisees would fast every Monday and Thursday. That's generally accepted theology. They would fast every Monday and Thursday. But they would disfigure their faces and stand on the street corners and, you know, and not do Matthew 6. When you fast, go into your bedroom in a secret. Put oil on your face, as Glenn and Tally so wonderfully shared. Fasting was the number one way, number one way, number one way to humble yourself before the Lord, biblically. It had flipped so upside down that by the time it got to the Pharisees, that fasting had become a point of spiritual pride. It's crazy. So they would do it in front of others. Look at me. Look how spiritual. Look what I'm doing. Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable of a Pharisee who was doing that and a tax collector. And he uses this phrase, who left justified? The tax collector. So what happens is it flips upside down from what the true essence of fasting, to humble oneself, to draw near to the Lord, became this point of spiritual pride. So the Pharisees come and say, how come your disciples don't fast? And then he gives this parable about new and old wineskins, old and new garments. He's saying, oh, they will fast, but they certainly will not do it like you. That's actually what he's saying. He says, they will not fast like those in the Old Testament. They will fast a different way. Very important. Why? We read this last week. Leviticus 16. It talks about the instituting of the Day of Atonement. Then there shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. What does that mean? Fasting. And do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. Leviticus 23 verse 29, and it says a similar thing. For any person who is not afflicted in the soul, on that same day, he's talking about the day of atonement. Actually, go to verse Leviticus 23 verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... 
Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls. That's fasting. And offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement from you before the Lord your God. Next verse. For any person who is not afflicted in the soul in the same day shall be cut off. So there was a law. The day of atonement you all fast. Acts 27 verse 29 calls the day of atonement the day of the fast. So afflicted of the soul and fast. We covered that last week. They were taught you have to fast on the day of atonement. One day a year where they would kill the scapegoat, put the sin of the people on the goat. We know the story. Why? It was to purchase righteousness, to purchase right standing with God. That's what it was for. It was for the forgiveness of sin. They would purchase righteousness. They had to do it. What started to take place is they started to lose the heart of it. It wasn't to humble themselves anymore. It wasn't to go before God. It wasn't this. They started to lose the heart. And God talks about it in Isaiah 29. These people worship me with their lips and they honor me with their mouths, but their hearts far from me because they were just pushing the button to get something from God I'm going to fast push the button purchase my righteousness get a breakthrough and move on with my own life and so Isaiah stands up in Isaiah 58 on the day of atonement and begins to speak about the heart of a true fast that's why in Luke 5 they came asking this how dare they not do this how and Jesus said they will but they will do it in a different way you know that he gave them a model of how to fast in a new covenant way? Matthew chapter 3, gets baptized by John, comes out of the water, a voice from heaven, you are my son, identity, whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased, identity, acceptance, approval. You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Next verse, so Jesus left and departed into the desert to fast. When we fast from a position of identity, not to gain it, from who we are, from sonship, from the love of the Father, from the fact that we have a Father, not just creator God as they saw in the Old Testament, but a Father. And you fast from that understanding and from that place. You fast from righteousness of Christ. Jesus said they will fast, but they will fast like I fasted, not like you. They will not fast to purchase righteousness. They will fast as a son who is righteous. Friends, it makes all the difference. Any person who employs spiritual principles to gain what they've already been given will find that it doesn't work. <laughs> Are you with me? This is stuff I've wrestled over years and years. Because the promises that are tied to fasting, if there's any list in the Bible of promises that I want to say, yeah, I would love that, it's promises that are tied to fasting. But we don't fast from the right place. Not because we're evil, because people perish for lack of knowledge. <laughs> you know, even physically, even physically, if you do a long fast, I've studied water fast. For those of you who are struggling, if you're going to do a water fast, please use wisdom. I don't have to say that. If you're going to do a water fast, go watch a documentary on Amazon Prime called The Science of Fasting. It's a secular documentary. Outstanding. 
it's, it's, I, I watched it last time I was fasting because I was really wanting to. So I just watched it. I'm like, yeah, it helps me. But you know that after seven to ten days, depending on the person, depending on the level of toxication in your body, after seven to... It's not in that documentary. This is other study. Sorry. If you go watch the thing and you're looking for it, it's not there. After seven to ten days, only then, after seven to ten days of water, your brain starts to detox. Who knows what a stronghold is? You know what a stronghold is? It's a pattern of thoughts, right? Cast down every argument, every high thing that exalts every thought. Keep it in submission because that's the throne of the soul. Right? They've now proved, even scientifically, that when you develop like a pattern of thinking, it develops like a pathway, like a groove in your brain. And some of them are so powerful physically that your children will be born with it existing. God knew this way back when. So he says you've got to break stuff in the spirit to stop that process. You know that after seven to ten days of water fasting, your brain starts to detox. And one of the first things that starts to repair is those grooves, those pathways that you've developed over years of bad habits. Elijah fasted 40 days. Moses, 40 days. Jesus, 40 days. I believe you have to be called to that because they fasted no food or water. But God knows what he's doing. He knew way before science knew. The power of fasting in the physical, in the spiritual, it has phenomenal power. Let's go to Isaiah 58. You cannot preach on fasting and not go to Isaiah 58. I'm throwing a lot at you today, but I'm hoping it's stirring you, stirring your hearts. I really hope it does, because you will leave your stirred. But let me tell you, next week when you're struggling, you won't feel stirred. But that's okay, because physical obedience brings spiritual release. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me just take a little bit of pressure off you at the same time. Most fasts in the Bible were one day or three days. You don't see these long fasts over and over and over. Most fasts in the Bible are one or three days. Fasting can increase in power in terms of the impact on your life for the length that you fast. It can, you can bring a lot of change for that change to come fast, like quickly. But the power of fasting in, in, in its inherent power, in its principled power, doesn't change because of the length. You can not have direction in your life and fast two meals and pray and God will answer. It's not like I have to earn. It's a key. I said this last week. God has given us a big key to use. It's a very special key and it's fasting and very few of us seldom turn it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's first one. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So God is actually saying there's something not right here. They've forgotten the essence of fasting. He says, yet they seek me daily. It's not tongue-in-cheek, but it's, he's saying they don't understand. They seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness, they did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have they fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Who's ever felt like that when they fasted? He was saying they do that. They were doing that because they had forgotten the heart behind it. The truth behind it was just push the button on the machine and get the result. So he says, in fact, the day, day, day of atonement, it's a day. 
In the day of your fast, you find pleasure. So what happens? They were supposed to, if you remember the Leviticus, they were supposed to do no work and fast and afflict their soul. So what had happened is the, the farmers and the businessmen, they were saying, well, we're going to do no work, but we're going to punish our laborers to do extra work to make up for what I don't do. <laughs> it's called greed. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day. But to make your voice heard on high, and I said last week, we don't fast to make God hear our plea. We fast because most of the change, fasting will affect change. It will, it will, it will affect change. But the change does not go to God. The change is in you. We change where we're standing. I heard a gentleman preach once. He said, if you do not understand what I'm saying, you're standing in the wrong place, move. And he was trying to prove a point that the truth is the truth. When we're not getting something, we move. Truth doesn't change. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He speaks. He's from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. His heart is to reach out, to communicate with man, to speak to man, to redeem man, to love man, to bless man, to uplift man. From the beginning to the end. Fasting will affect change in you. Not because you're evil, but because we live in a world that is under the prince of the air. And we just have to constantly say, Lord, you, you. So, let's go to verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke? Friends, it's Luke 11 all over again. I go to a friend at midnight because a man has come to me. A man has knocked on my door and I have nothing to set before him. So I go and ask my friend and I knock on his door. Please give me something because a friend has come to me at midnight and I have nothing to set before him. Just quoting Luke 11. And he says, because of his persistence, he will give him whatever he needs. You know the parable? Fasting affects change here. Why do we fast? This is why we fast. Is this not the fast that I've chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness? Fast and fix change, so I can be an answer. Bible says, the NIV, to loose the chains of injustice. You know, when you see a person who's so bound by the enemy, so what do Christians do? They point the finger, look at what you're doing, you're saying you're this. Actually, they're doing their job, they're captive. Your job is to set them free. So we begin to fast and cry out, God, Move on their behalf. Help them. Change them. Send someone. If not me, someone. You begin to fast and you begin to cry aloud and you begin to pray so that chains will be broken because it's illegal because the payment's been made. All the years in our youth, I try to kind of dumb down as much as I can to, to reach the way they would understand. We saw chains broken year after year after year after year with tears and with adults to break chains of wickedness is illegal. To loose bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens. Any burden that is heavy is not from the Lord because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I've seen people with such heavy burdens, they carry things that are not from them. It's from their mother, their father. It's from words from a teacher. It's something, they carry stuff. It's from bitterness, it's they carry and it will eventually affect you. 
badly. Fasting breaks it. It says, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. What breaks the yoke? The anointing breaks the yoke. Isaiah chapter 10. Who is the anointing? Jesus Christ. Christ means anointed one. He breaks the yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Friends, that's both practical. What about spiritual? You know what the most important word there is? Your. Your bread. Not bread is what? In the spiritual, it's this, friends. It's this. Food. The word of God. To share your food, your revelation, your truth with the hungry. And it's also practical to literally feed people. But it says your bread. There's something in your life that has become a party that you break off a piece of your life and give it to someone else. That's why testimony is so powerful. Fasting will bring that opportunity right to your door. Like that. When you see the naked, oh, it actually says, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. Who's that in the, in the spirit? Are the unsaved, the cast out ones, the ones who have no home, the ones who are maybe saved but prodigal, the ones who are not coming home. They have no home. That was a reference to those who had been kicked out of their home for lack of payment in the natural. They have no home. They've been cast out. So we fast now in the new covenant and the spirit to bring those people home, to bring our children home, to bring our loved ones home. When it says, and to not hide yourself, I said, when you see the naked, that you cover them. What's that? Shame. Shame. People living exposed, full of shame, full of fear, which came from the garden. We fast for them, to cover them, to break through in their life, to see something affect change for them, and for them to return in their hearts to the Lord, for them to be free. And it says that you do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Friends, that right there, we don't have the time. We have to go over why are we fasting as FLC. That's why we're fasting. Last year we fasted for finances, facility, for all things that have to do with us because we were in a situation where we needed it. Publicly you can fast for a national calamity. National, we can just say local church. For a calamity or crisis. We had one. We fasted. My son, you all know the story, got supernaturally healed. We have two doctor's reports. You got healed in the fast. It's not necessarily what we were fasting for. Did God answer? Look around you. This fast, we're fasting for the city. Not for us. Remember when I said the last service at Evergreen, the reason he takes us in is more important than the miracle he used to get you there. We're fasting for the city. For the ones who have bonds of wickedness, heavy burdens, the oppressed, those under a yoke, those who are hungry. We met as leaders. It's probably one of the best leadership meetings we've ever had on Wednesday. You know why? Because we sat in this room and we began to dream together. We said, let's break all the boxes. Let's take off all the shackles, all the church stuff, break all of that, and begin to dream about the city. We are surrounded by such a description. We have a generation that is lost, confused, don't even know who they are. Will someone fast? Will someone begin to cry aloud? Will someone begin to pray? And not expect them to darken our door, but we go to them and may come through very practical means. We are literally fasting to ask God, give us a strategy for our city. 
open a door. It might mean uh, a person in the church is put in, in a very prominent place in the city. It might mean a door opens for a food thing. It might mean a door opens to, for some sort of practical ministry because first the natural, then the spiritual. It may be someone gets invited to, we don't know, but an ongoing door into the city where we can begin to infiltrate into that culture and see change. That's why we're fasting because that's why the Bible says to fast. We're also personally, as a leadership fasting, I kept hearing when I prayed for this time, the Lord kept saying, a point, a point, a point. And I can feel there's a reshaping of things coming in our midst. I don't know yet know what it looks like, but it's fasting for leaders. It's fasting for more preachers. It's fasting to say, God, raise them up, raise them up, so that we can scale and build and affect a city. That's why I'll be fasting. Then it says, verse 8, then, we'll just quickly, I'll read you some of these promises. Then, then, say then. Amen. So why do you fast? True heart, true heart of fasting for others. That's the, part of the essence of fasting for the point of intercession, right? It says then, then it follows all these promises. Friends, these promises are just ridiculous. They're awesome. But you don't fast for the promises. You fast for them. The promises come to you. Then your light shall break forth like the morning or like the dawn. What's more? Again, very important word, your. What light is it talking about? Jesus Christ. I'll read your scripture. Then there is a light that shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, and that light is the life of men. That's Jesus. But then it says your light. Your light. Why? Because after the cross, friends, that light lives inside of you, but it gets trapped. Who knows that? It says, let your light so shine before men. It gets trapped. Friends, there's something about light, even in the science world. Light always dispels darkness. No one walks into a dark room and says, oh, who turned the darkness up? No. Say, so who turned the lights up? Look at our city. Who turned the lights up? Where's the light? It's in you. <laughs> let your light so shine. So we fast to dethrone the soul so that our light can so shine before men so that salvation can come to our city. Hello? Am I making sense? Wonderful. It says, your healing shall spring forth speedily. That is all forms of healing. We have some people in our body right now who are severely ill. Friends, I just want you to know, you're not out of sight and out of mind. It pains me when I pray for people and I see nothing happen. Because I've had seasons in my life where I've seen everything I touch, God does, and it pains me. One of the reasons I'm fasting is I have a list of people who are ill in our body, life-threatening illness. There's like four of them, or maybe more. Friends, we take it seriously as a body. And we're going to fast for those people. We're going to fast for those people. Because that's what the Bible says. It says, your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So important. Glory and protection. What is the only place in your body that is exposed if you put on the armor of God? Your back. The glory of God is not the anointing on a man. The glory of God is the miraculous in the atmosphere. Everyone's sitting down and God is being God in the room. You want that protecting your back. When miracles follow you, you don't strive for miracles. They follow you. Fasting. Then you shall call the Lord and he will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Who's ever prayed to a concrete sky? 
Everyone. Right? You pray, it goes nowhere. You shall cry and he shall say, here I am, I'm right, I'm right here. Not because he changes. Fasting, answered prayer. Fasting, intimacy. I'm going to encourage you. I'll read you one more verse. It says, then your light shall dawn in darkness. That's different to let your light shine. It says your darkness will be like noonday. Even your dark moments will still be like bright. What does that mean? You're beginning to carry a person. You're beginning to host a presence. You're beginning to carry something wherever you go. You're beginning to carry the person of the Holy Spirit. And you walk into Walmart. And you walk into Starbucks. And you walk into your office. You're beginning to host something. That doesn't come from a three-day fast. I'm not trying to take your faith away. I'm just telling you the truth. That doesn't come from a one, two, three, four, five-day fast. That comes from what Glenn and Telly are doing, not to exalt them. That comes from a lifestyle of fasting. And you begin to carry something. We are going to be fasting Monday to Friday. The leadership have been fasting, I don't know, for a couple of weeks already. Let me just say this. Please use wisdom. Please do not be legalistic. Please fast with liberty. I hope today put some faith in your hearts. Please fast for your own personal reasons too. Hey, if you're going to fast, double it up. For real. Have a plan. Write it down. Fast for it. Pray together. We're two or more gathered. Pray together. If you have a severe illness that we are not aware of, please email us. We want to fast for you as a leadership. We will be meeting as a leadership on Wednesday. We, the whole church will meet in here Thursday night and Friday night. Friday night we will pray and worship or whatever, and then we're going to break fast. It's a potluck. Please come, bring your food. It's always the most interesting worship because everyone's really hungry, and they can smell the food, and they're like, yeah, Lord, we love you, we love you. Let's get this done. But, it's, uh, but that's Friday. That's Friday, so we're going to pray Friday. I hope you're filled with faith. Please go read that. And uh, you don't have to fast full five days. You may fast one day. You may fast two meals. We're not dictating to you. Please just use wisdom. If you want to fast, I know some of the young guys, I'm going to fast five days, no food and water. Well, that's, that's silly. If you're going to do a no liquid fast, like no food and water, please let a doctor know. Please. I would encourage you not to. If you work a heavy manual labor job, you won't be able to do what you do unless the Lord tells you to do it if you just do a water fast. It's just basic. Can we stand? Next time we see you, we will be hungry. But our souls would have been dethroned. Amen? And the enemy would have been dethroned even greater. Lord, we choose as a body to humble ourselves before you. It's a humbling act so that you may get glory. Father, we pray for our city. We pray for the oppressed, the broken, the hurting, the lost. And we say, Lord, give us strategies. Give us strategies. Let your presence and your glory fill this house. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.